Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Tonight is the book of John part 10. Again, we have one more week. This has been almost five months in the making and we have all, we have just one more week. Next week, we'll end the book of John and we'll move on to something different, but it's going to be a fun night tonight. Make it fun, make it exciting, make it a thing where you get your kids together and your family together and you read the Bible. I mean, imagine the Bible being exciting. Imagine being excited about the Bible. Imagine the Bible being fun. That's what we're trying to do. I want to get people excited about the word of God. And I want to ask you this, and I'm starting off hot, but it's hot in my office right now. It's 80 degrees. Why is everything else so exciting in your life but the Bible? Why is everything else so exciting in our life but prayer? Why is it so hard for us? I know summer's here and, you know, the numbers go down. People don't, and they don't have the time to be in the Bible live streams anymore. But guys, let's make the word of God a priority. Let's make Bible study a priority. Let's get excited. Let's get passionate about the word of God. So that's what we're trying to do. Be excited tonight. Be passionate tonight. We're going to the book of John part 10. We started December 12th. We'll finish next week for the finale. It's going to be a good time. Here we are. We're using the New King James Version. If you don't know, we have the entire book of Revelation, the entire book of Acts, the entire book of Romans, the entire book of Ephesians, Colossians. All those are on my playlist on YouTube. And again, I have a cut under my tongue if I'm talking weird. I already feel like I'm talking weird. But just know there's nothing wrong with me other than I have a huge cut under my tongue. Okay, we're going to work it out. So New King James Version, get out of your Bible. This is written by John. Um, next to Paul, John wrote more New Testament than anyone else. He wrote the Gospel of John, which is what we're going over. First John, Second John, Third John, and also wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote this, it's believed, about 80 to 90 AD. So that's, if you don't know, that's 80 to 90 years after Jesus died and resurrected. John is writing this Gospel. It's not considered a synoptic Gospel. He leaves out a lot of details the other writers go into, but it's more revelatory. It's not as many details, but there's more revelation in who the who Jesus is and all that. And no, it's not the tongue tie that I am getting cut, which is another story. I literally just have a cut under my tongue. I woke up with a huge cut under my tongue, and it's it's been the devil, put it that way. We're going to recap, okay? Last week we went over John 15 and 16. We'll do a quick re- recap. John 15, Jesus tells the disciples, remain in me like branches on a vine. If you want to be fruitful, you need to be connected to Jesus. If you're not connected to Jesus, you're not going to bear fruit. So how do I bear fruit? Stay connected to Christ. A a vine doesn't have to try to produce fruit. It's a byproduct of connection. Jesus also tells his disciples love one another, even to the point of death. Jesus calls his disciples friends instead of servants if they obey him. That's how you become a friend of God is if you obey him, you'll be my friend. Jesus told his disciples the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. And then Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to come and to fill his disciples. John 16 Jesus repeated that when he went back to heaven, he would send the helper of the Holy Spirit in his place. So this is a repeat of the chapter before. John 16, after Jesus leaves earth, the Holy Spirit will come teach further about himself. The disciples don't understand what Jesus means when he's going to go away. And then finally they understand and they get it. And Jesus tells them, look, it's going to be like a woman in birth. She's going to be in pain. It's going to be sorrowful. When I leave you, it's going to be a painful process. But then when I rise, there's going to be joy as like a newborn baby coming out. The mother forgets the pain when the baby arrives. This is Jesus' death and resurrection. And then Jesus says, after my death, you can pray directly to the Father. You can pray directly to God the Father. We're able to now come boldly before his throne. And then the disciples finally understand what Jesus is going through. Now that leads us into 
chapter 17. One of the best chapters in the Bible. We're going to see why here. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, teaches the disciples how to pray. Teaches them that they should pray. Doesn't just tell them how to pray, but teaches them where they should pray. He goes, when you pray, so he's assuming we're praying, pray in secret. And you're gonna, we're going to see Jesus teaching about prayer all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Gospels. Now, this is not just Jesus teaching prayer. This is us being able to eavesdrop into Jesus praying to the Father. Like imagine, we're able to listen to Jesus praying. How powerful would that be if we got to eavesdrop into Jesus' prayer? Like what did Jesus' pray, prayer sound like? If you ever look up to a powerful man of God and you wanna know what they pray like? What, what, not just what do they pray on stage, but what is their secret prayer life? What, what do they pray in private? This would be us getting a glimpse of behind the scenes. That's why I'm so excited. That's why you should be excited. A behind the scenes of Jesus praying. We don't know if this was in the presence of the disciples. I'm inclined to believe the disciples were here while he was praying. We don't know if it was by himself with the disciples or John just overheard him. But here's the behind the scenes of Jesus' prayer life. And this chapter... You don't even need to try to put no sauce on it. You don't need to try to make any, any. oh, this is what I think. This is just straight raw, the prayer of Jesus, raw and unfiltered. So I'm going to do my best to not try to add too much commentary as the takeaway from what the text is saying. Sometimes we add so much commentary, it's like, is that really what the text said? So we want to stay true to the text. And I'm very, very excited because this is the prayer of Jesus to his father. In his most vulnerable moment on earth, remember, the scene is this. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to get arrested and stand on trial. Here's his, like, his, I don't want to say his last prayer, but one of his last recorded prayers of him praying to the Father. And we're going to see four prayer requests that Jesus has, and it's going to teach us how Jesus prayed and how we can pray for other people, which is beautiful because if Jesus prayed these things, then we can also pray these things. This is a model of how to pray. This is beautiful. John 17. We're going to start in verse 1 through 2. Now, if you have your Bible, open your Bible, follow along, mark, highlight, have fun, get excited about it. It's that dusty thing that's on your shelf. What's the Bible? It's that thing that's been in a drawer under your bed somewhere that you haven't opened in like five years. Open that up and let's jump in here. So chapter 17, verses 1 through 2. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, so he's, this is his posture of prayer. His, his posture is lifting up his eyes to heaven and praying. So he's praying with his head lifted to the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may also also may glorify you. So notice Jesus says the hour has come. What Jesus is talking about is it's my time to die. Remember, Jesus' entire mission of leaving heaven to come to earth, wrapping himself in flesh, born of a virgin, 30 years he lives on the earth, starts ministry at 30 to 33. He's 33 at this point. His entire mission was to lay his life down, to die for our sins. His whole earthly ministry has led up to this point. This is the hour he's talking about. Jesus being the one that bridged the gap, the chasm between us and God. Friend, I don't know if you know this, but you are separated from God. You are distant from God. You are far apart from God. You and God were, there was a chasm that was unreachable between you and God. And now, because of the work that Jesus did, somebody get excited, type one in the chat if you're hearing me. Because of the work that Jesus did, the gap has been bridged. We now, the Bible says, go from being at war with God. You were at war with God to now being friends with God. We are now able to have relationship. Jesus is Jacob's ladder. He's the ladder that we're able to ascend to, to, to communicate with the Father. When we are far off, 
we are able to communicate with the Father. We have fellowship. We have communion. What Adam broke, this is just basic Bible gospel teaching. What Adam broke, Jesus came and repaired. Now, his first request in this prayer is not selfish like many of our requests. He says, Father, glorify me, but here's why. Bring attention to my sacrifice so that ultimately you glorifying me, and that is bringing attention, honoring me. Jesus is saying by bringing glory and honor to my sacrifice on the cross, ultimately, look what it says here, that your son may glorify you. How is the son going to glorify the father? In the death of Jesus. By Jesus dying, giving us a way to the father, Jesus is being glorified by the father, put on display. But really, the glory comes from Jesus to the Father because now we have relationship with the Father that we never had before. We never had relationship to the Father, but now we do. This is John 17. What chapter is 17? Right here on screen. John 17, right there. So his sacrifice would draw us to the Father because the Father is the one that sent Jesus. So when the Father glorified Jesus, the Father would be glorified in that we can now have relationship with the Father. Before Christ... There was no way for us outside of a priest, a high priest, to have relationship with the Father. We see tangible manifestations of the glory of God throughout the Old Testament, but now we are able to have personal relationship with the Father. Come on! How exciting is this? How could this not be exciting? So what Jesus is going to do, considering the Father has given authority over all flesh, is give them eternal life. Now, look, let's look at this. Let's look at this, okay? Um, Father's out. Okay, verse 2. I'm sorry, I was supposed to read verse 2. I didn't. As you've given, as you have given him authority, which him is Jesus. He's talking about himself, capital H. So it can't be anyone else but him. You've given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. So Jesus says, because you've given me authority over all flesh, I will give that he, Jesus, will give eternal life to as many as the father has given him. So Jesus says, because you've given me this authority, I'm going to give eternal life to them. And what people do and pray in their personal life says a lot about them. This shows the selflessness of Jesus in him glorifying the Father, giving them eternal life. Why? Because the Father has given them to him. The Father has given us to Jesus so that he can give us eternal life. Okay, look at this. Verse 3. Verse 3. And this is eternal life. So what is that eternal life that Jesus is giving us? Most people don't know, like, oh, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That's not just, that's not all eternal life is. And this, I want to just camp here for a second. So get your tent out because a lot of churches preach, when you die, you go to heaven. When you die, you go to heaven. Who wants to come and say the sinner's prayer, which is, by the way, not in the Bible. Don't tell your pastor I said that. Do not tell your pastor I said that, but it's not in the Bible, okay? Anyways, that's another video. We go, who wants to pray? And when you die, you can all go to heaven. And then everybody comes up that came up last week and we all pray so we could die and go to heaven. And then we just kind of just warm a chair every week in church and we just kind of all wait till we die. Like we're just going to have eternal life. But is that really why Jesus came to earth and died on the cross? Did Jesus really come to earth, die on the cross so that one day I could just die and go to heaven? Partially, partially. But that's not just the only thing that eternal life is. And I got to be careful what I say because people clip it and say, Isaiah Saldivar says going to heaven is not eternal life. But let me show you this. This is what the Bible says. And this is eternal life. I would like to know what that is. What is it? This. Ready? That they may... Don't skip ahead, y'all. Don't look. Don't look. Don't skip ahead until we read. That they may know you, Jesus speaking of the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, of course, he's speaking of himself, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is so much stuff right here. So eternal life is not just. Now, Jesus doesn't say here, when you die, you go to heaven, that's eternal life. And that is eternal life. There's other areas that talk about Jesus is eternal life and there's salvation, all that. That's part of it. But here in context, from the mouth of Jesus, this is eternal life. And then he follows it with that they may know the Father and that they may know you. So God in his infinite wisdom and power, look at this, offers us relationship with him. He says, I'm offering you, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost strong tonight. I'm offering you something. Guys, there's an offer tonight on the table. There's an offer on the table and it's not to invest in crypto. It's not to get a new stock that just came out. It's not a 401k. This is relationship with the father who, by the way, you couldn't have relationship with before outside of a special priest that would go before God once a year. But now this is absolutely revolutionary. This changes everything. This changes literally everything because now this is eternal life. So not just something you'd after death, it's a present reality. You literally could have a relationship with the creator of everything. Jesus says this, the, gl the glory which I had with, with you before the world was. But I want you to notice this here, because this I'm gonna make some statements here that prove a lot of false teachers uh, are false here in some of these statements. Many say Jesus was created, he wasn't, he wasn't pre-existent, he wasn't eternal, he was a, a concept of God that God created. Uh, 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 I gotta be careful what I say here, because yes, People make these false claims, all false claims, by the way, all false claims. Jesus was the uncreated God. Jesus was there in the beginning before Adam was, Jesus was before Adam existed. Jesus was preexistent before the constructs of time existed in humanity. Jesus was there. Say Jesus was not a thought, not an idea, not a concept, not a creation, not God didn't create Jesus and go, we're going to create Jesus and none of that. This is the pre-existing God. And I know that because look, the, gl the glory which I had with you before the world was. So the Father and the Son had glory together before the world was created. Meaning, Jesus was not an afterthought. God wasn't like, hmm, how are we gonna save humanity? Oh, I know, I'm gonna create Jesus. I'm gonna create a man named Jesus. He's gonna be my only son and I'm gonna send him down. That is not at all what happened. Jesus was pre-existent. So we need to make sure that our theology is solid here because we have some people out here that claim to be orthodox, claim to be one of us that are teaching Jesus was just a concept or a principle or a creation of the Father. He came from the, you know, God thought him up. No, brother, not at all. Before the world was, Jesus was. So there's this glory that he says we had. There, there's this before time existed. He's un, Jesus is the uncreated God. Uncreated. The idea that God created Jesus later to solve a problem is unbiblical and unorthodox. Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven says at the end of his earthly life, um, I'm sorry, second uh, Timothy four, chapter four, verse seven says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. So Jesus says here, and I'm, I want to tie that into this. Jesus says, I finished the work, which you've given me to do. Paul says, I finished the race or I fought the good fight. Now there's this idea of towards the end of your life. Jesus, of course, is at the end of his earthly life because he's literally about to go to the cross. But Paul says this almost the same thing at the end of his earthly life. And that is, I finished the work. So if you're in the chat right now, the question to you would be, can you say that about your life tonight?
Can you be able to say, are you able at the end of your life to say, I finished the race. I fought the good fight. I'm finishing well. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. Jesus is able to say it. If we, now, I just don't want to be rude here, but if we've never done any work for God, how could we say we finished the work? There is a lot of Christians that have done absolutely nothing for God in a literal sense. And they think they're going to say, I finished the work. What work have you finished? Now we know here, what I highlighted, there's work to be done. This word is not a cuss word. Chat, this word is not a cuss word. Work is not bad. I don't know why we're like, it's not about works, brother. Why are we preaching that works are bad? Literally, the Bible says we've been created for good works before we were even created. We are created for works. And the Bible says we get judged on judgment day on our works. So here Jesus says, I've finished the work. Lord, let me be able to say that. I want to say that. Let me be able to stand before God and say, and him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You finished the race. You did. You worked. I don't want to be lazy, chat. I don't want to be lazy. I want to do the work. So what is the work? I'm going to show you some of the work here. But will you be able to say I finished the work? Well, some of you are going like, what work, Isaiah, does God want me to do that I need to finish? What is the work? I'm going to give you some verses. I'm going to give you some verses that say how we should be living our life and some of the work that we should be doing undeniably. Let's start in Matthew 28, 19. Like Isaiah, what is the work? Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go. So he didn't say stay. Jesus tells us we need to go. Well, where do I go? Wherever there's people to go to. Go to work. Go to school. Go to social media. Go on YouTube. Tonight I'm on YouTube. I'm on Facebook. I'll be on Instagram. I'll be on TikTok this week. I'm going there. And what are we doing there? Go and make disciples of all nations. So you're going. You're making disciples. If you're not making disciples, you're not doing the work Jesus called you to do. I'm sorry to tell you. I know I had to be that guy. I, I got to be the bad guy to tell you this. But if you're not making disciples, you're not doing what God's called you to do. Make disciples of all nations. So it doesn't matter what color, what race, what ethnicity, what social status, what economic status. Go and make disciples. So we all should be doing that if you're confused. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we all can baptize. We can all baptize people. You can do it in your bathtub. You can do it in a pool, a spa. It doesn't matter. You can baptize. You don't need a degree. You don't need to be, know all the theology. And then verse 20 of Matthew 28, teaching them. So what else should I be doing? Teach them to observe all that I've commanded of you and do always to the close of the age. So we're always, or he said, I'm, I'm with you always to the close of the age, but we're supposed to be not just, not just that he's with us always, but we're supposed to be doing this always. So we're observing everything he taught, which there's 50 commandments in Matthew alone. So everything he taught, everything he sent them to do, he commanded them to go heal the sick. He commanded them to go cast out devils. He commanded them to go preach the gospel. He says, teach them to observe everything I commanded of you. So we observe everything Jesus said to do. Everything he told the disciples, that's Matthew 28, 19, Dan. We're supposed to do and teach others to do. Okay, Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually, what are we called to do? Offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good. So we're supposed to be doing good. Look at that, Hebrews 13, 15. And share with others. For that, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So we're supposed to be praising God with our lips. We're supposed to be doing good and we're supposed to be sharing with others. James 1.27, religion that our father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep yourself 
keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There's three commandments there in James 1.27. Take, look after orphans. That's the work God's calls to do. Look after widows. That's the work God's calls to do. And keep yourself from being polluted by the world. We're supposed to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Make it your goal. What's the goal? Look at this. To live a quiet life. <laughs> I got, I'm sorry. I know it's getting hot in here. Minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way that you live and you'll not need to depend on others. Okay, this is 1 Thessalonians 4.11. What do we learn how we should be living? Quiet life. I'll put the Bible back on screen, but we're outside of what's on screen, so I don't want to confuse you guys. Okay, I'll put it back on in a second when we get back to John. All right now we're in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. What are we supposed to do? Live a quiet life. Some of y'all are too loud. What, do, what does he mean by quiet life? Stop being in everyone's business. You don't need to hold everyone accountable. You're not God's spokesman for everybody. Get out of everyone's drama. Get out of everyone's business. Mind your own business. Don't be the, the neighborhood gossip. Don't be the church gossip. Don't be that guy. Live a quiet life. What does that mean? Look what he says here. Minding your own business and working with your hands. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. I worked at Starbucks for almost two years, full-time ministry. You can do it. I thank God now I'm able to do full-time ministry, but listen, for the majority of people, they're not gonna do full-time ministry. Work with your hands. And then it says this, here's why. Because unbelievers will respect you by the way that you live. You're not gonna be this lazy, gossiping Christian. They're gonna go, wow, you work hard for what you have. You live a quiet life. You mind your own business, all that good stuff. So live a quiet life. First Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded. Okay, so be like-minded. These are ways we should live, things we're supposed to do. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and be humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because this you are called to do that you may inherit a blessing. Whoever, and then it says, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue for e from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. So these are a lot of things that we're instructed on how we should be living our life. Blameless, quiet, peaceful, working with our hands. If somebody does evil, we bless them. We repay evil with blessing. All of these things. We don't, we don't let the world pollute us. We look after the orphan, the widow. We make disciples. We give a daily sacrifice of praise to God with our lips. We share with others. We do good. We sacrifice to God. We teach others to obey what Christ commanded us to obey. These are the ways. So if my life isn't reflecting that, then it's likely I won't be able to say this right here. It's likely I won't be able to say I finished the work. We want to make sure we can say that. Verse 6. Look at this. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. Look what Jesus says. They were yours. He's, he's praying to the Father. This is his most intimate prayers we're seeing here. They were yours. You gave them to me and they kept your word. Now they have known. Look at this. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I've given them... I have given to them the words which you've given me and they've received them and have known surely that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. So now Jesus goes from, after he's done praying for himself, Jesus starts praying for his disciples. And he revealed that the 11 men, because of course Judas had left already. Judas is already out getting all the guards to come arrest Jesus in a minute. 
but they're, he's basically saying the people that Jesus is saying, the people you gave me, the 11 disciples, I've kept them. I've kept them. Now, of course, Judas doesn't count because Judas was already a son of perdition. He'd already been separated to, be, to uh, betray Jesus. That was all part of God's prophetic timeline. So he says, I've, I've kept these people here. And then he says, I've manifested. Now, this is not manifested is, is used a lot in the new age and they kind of stole it. It's not a new age word. Okay. When we say manifested, we're not talking about the new age. Manifested means bringing something that's hidden into the light or making something that's not clear, clear. It's to make something known that wasn't known. So when we always say like in deliverance, somebody manifested a demon, it just means the demon was hidden. We didn't know it was there and it made itself known. What Jesus is saying here is I've manifested your name to men, the name of the Father, that is. I've made the Father who was hidden or concealed or unable to be reached, I've now made the Father, this is John 17, 6. I've now made the Father known to people. Because remember, before Jesus came to earth, God revealed his nature through various names in the Old Testament, okay? So the way that we knew the Father, God the Father, was through his names. We knew his nature through his, type it in the chat, his names. So Jesus comes and says, I'm going to reveal the father, not by his names only, but I'm going to reveal his father by my nature. The words I say are coming from the father. The things that I do coming from the father. Jesus said, I do nothing unless I see the father do it. So Jesus is casting out demons. Why? The father told him to. He saw it from the father. When Jesus is preaching, why? He heard the father tell him to. When he's praying for the sick, the father. So this is all coming from his father and he's coming to serve the father while he's on earth. So these, they're in perfect unity. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all working together in perfect unity. Something that we can't understand in our own finite minds. So manifested means something that's hidden, bring it into light. So Old Testament names, let me just give you an example of how God the Father was revealed or manifested. The word Jesus uses here, the word manifested. How was the, the Father manifested in the Old Testament? We have Elohim, which is creator, God, Jehovah, which is the self-existent one, we'd call the I am. El Shaddai, these are just examples, is Almighty God. Adonai, which is Lord and Master. Jehovah Jireh, God provides. Jehovah Rapha, God heals. Jehovah Shalom, God is peace. Jehovah Rahi is God my shepherd. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. Jehovah Ra, which is the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. The uh, Jehovah Sidkenu, which is the Lord our righteousness. All of these Jehovah names or names of God in the Old Testament, there's uh, a lot of them. I don't know the exact number, so I don't want to give a false number. There's a lot of them. All of these names reveal who, who God the Father is. What Jesus says now is, I've manifested your name to these men, to these disciples. Because right now he's going to pray for the disciples here. So let's go to verse 11 here. Uh, actually, did I skip ahead? No, no, no. Verse 9. Verse 9. I skipped ahead. I'm sorry. Jesus said, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. So we know this prayer is not for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. And then look at verse 11 here. So Jesus, we know clearly praying for the disciples. I do not pray for the world. He's praying for the disciples here. Verse uh, 11 here. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name, those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. That they may be one as we are. Interesting. Look at this, what, what verse 12 says. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
So Jesus says, these men you've given me, I've kept them, which I want to go into after, but I've kept them. So Jesus is going to give four in these next verses. I want to give you, write these down. This is, take notes. Jesus is going to give four prayer requests. He has four specific prayer requests that we're going to find out in this chapter that he's going to make for his disciples. These are the four prayer requests. Now, there's something supernatural here about where Jesus says, where is it at here? I'm the one in the world. Uh, I kept them. There's something about the keeping power of God that's undervalued and not talked about enough in the church. That Jesus has the power to keep us. That when the world and my Bible app is frozen, please work. Okay, we're going to get that fixed here in a second. But Jesus has the power to keep us in his hand. Although the devil comes and tries to steal and kill and destroy, the keeping power of God is able in the midst of trial, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, Jesus is able to keep his disciples. Are you glad I am that Jesus is able to keep you? He's able to keep you by his power. I'm grateful that he's kept me for 12 years. The Lord has kept me in his grace. I haven't left him. I haven't forsaken him, but he's kept me in his mercy and kept me in his grace. So this is something, prayer number one, prayer number one, write this down. Do I have this back? Uh, let's see. There we go. Okay. The first prayer request is protection that the father would protect the disciples. You've given me them, keep them, Lord, protect them. There's something supernatural about the protecting hand of God. Satan will do everything he can to get you to turn from God, to get you to resist God, to get you to deny God. And Jesus says, Lord, I've kept them. And I'm praying that you would keep them. You would keep them, Lord, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I'm no longer with them. So since I've protected them like a mother hen would protect her chicks or a, a sheep would protect its, its baby um, babies, I'm now praying. Jesus is asking the Father. This is a direct, intimate prayer. Lord, keep them. So that means number one prayer request is protection. That means this is a prayer I should be praying for my brothers and sisters. This is a prayer. You should be writing these down because you should be praying these prayers now. How many know Jesus' prayers got answered? How many know Jesus prayed the perfect prayers? If I could find out the prayers of Jesus, how many know? Those are some prayers that are going to get answered. So I know biblically, if I pray the Lord would keep people, it's a biblical prayer. That's prayer request number one. Second prayer request, number two, is unity or oneness. He says, I'm praying that they would be in harmony the way me and the Father are. This is Jesus speaking. The way me and the Father are, I pray they, that, they, that they would be one. Look, that they may be one as we are. So in the same way Jesus and the Father are one, he wants the disciples to be one. Unity, not uniformity. Don't have to agree, agree on everything, but we need to agree on doing the will of the Father. That's the, that's the unity. The, the oneness that Jesus had. When Jesus speaks of him and the Father being one, He's speaking of one purpose, one mission, unity of mind, a, a Pentecostal acts to all together in one place type of thing. So this is the unity here. It's not like we can't have denominations, which I'm non-denominational. I don't ascribe to having a million denominations, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about oneness in mind and heart and spirit that we all have the same goal. And that is preaching the gospel and making the father known through our preaching. Okay, verse 13. So, and this is talking about Judas. One was lost. No, no one was lost except the son of perdition. So Jesus was able to keep us. What a beautiful thing. The fact that you're still saved right now, serving God, attest as a testimony 
to the keeping power of God. Verse 13. But now I come to you that these things I speak in the world that they may have joy. That, that, ugh. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Some of this stuff is, you know, it's, it's a different type of writing than how we normally speak in the New King James. They try to take the King James and make it a little bit more, but some of it is like, it might sound confusing. It's not, but it sounds like it just because of the way words are put together. Okay, so what is his third prayer request? If you're trying to guess, it's this. That's the third prayer request. Number one was protection. Prayer request number two is unity, oneness. Prayer request number three is joy, that his joy would be fulfilled. So no matter what trial, no matter what sorrow, they would be filled with joy. Joy comes from, write this down, relationship with Jesus, not outward circumstances. God is our source of joy. So how can I have joy in the midst of everything changing around me? Very simple. God is unchanging. I can hitch my wagon to God because God is never going to change. I can't hitch my wagon to this person or that person or that YouTuber or that influencer because they're up and down. They have good days. They have bad days. They're, they're fallible. They're changing. God is unchanging. He doesn't change. So God is able to give you joy. And no matter what you're going through, you can still have joy. So he's saying, let my joy, my joy fulfilled in themselves. So his prayer is that they would have the joy. God wants us to have joy. So protection, unity, and joy. These are the, these are the prayer requests of Jesus. These are things we should be praying for our brothers and sisters about. Verse 14, type one if you're learning something. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So Jesus said, I've, I've given them the word, your word, the father's word, the world hates them because they're not of the world. So of course, they hate, of course they hate them. I do not pray. Look at what Jesus says here. He's making it clear what he's praying and what he's not praying. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So he's reiterating protection. Look at this prayer. The keeping power of God. That the God the Father would keep us from the evil one who is the devil. So if the devil wasn't real or wasn't our enemy, Jesus would have never prayed this. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Okay, so look at this. He repeats his initial prayer of protection, but this time protect them not just from the world, but protect them from the devil who's the evil one. So there is a real enemy. Guys, don't let your, your pastor lie to you about this. There is a real devil. There is a real enemy, an adversary of our soul. And Jesus is praying now somehow the devil has real power because he's praying that the father would keep them from the evil one so we could pray lord keep our family from the evil one keep our friends from the evil one there's there's some type of and i don't claim to know all of this i'm just telling i'm just trying to interpret the text in a simple way there's some type of keeping power that god has around his fall his followers from the devil, from the, the work of the enemy. And this is an obvious prayer Jesus is praying. So if we didn't need protection from the evil one, Jesus wouldn't pray it. If the devil had no power, Jesus wouldn't be praying this. Yet Jesus prays this because it's clear there is a real devil. Now he says, they're not of the world. What does that mean, just not of the world? The world being the systems of this world. So we're in the world. He goes, I'm not praying that they would, they would escape the world. We're in the world. It wouldn't help if we escaped the world. It wouldn't help if we all went to heaven right now. We need to be on the earth in this broken, dark world to bring the gospel to those that need the gospel. So we need to be in the world. That's the goal, is being here, impacting it. 
So we don't need to be like, oh no, we're not supposed to be here in the world, Lord, take me to heaven and hide in our house and doomsday prep. No, we're in the world, at our job, at work, at school, amongst people, bringing the light in the midst of darkness. Light isn't needed in light, it's needed in darkness, okay? Very simple here. I don't know why, what's going on in the chat, why people are saying stop and all that, but mods, time out people if you need to time out people. James 4.4. I'm just going to read you a couple verses here. Do not confuse you. I'll take the John off screen. James 4, 4. Write this down. I'm going to quote word for word. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So all of these pastors, these preachers, these rappers out here that have all they're friends of the world, the world loves them. I'm just saying, James says you make yourself an enemy of God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in this of the world. In the world. I'm sorry. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, anyone, anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This desire to be accepted by the world, this love for the things of this world, the culture, the way they talk, the way unbelievers act, the way they're racing to the top of the ladder of corporate America, all of these, you know what the world is, right? The world, the culture. He goes, if you love that, the love of the Father's not in me. But remember, the world hates us because it hated Christ. That's why. They're not of the world, just I'm not of the world. That's why the world hates them. That's why. Again, I know I'm talking a little bit weird, just for those of you jumping on, I have a cut under my tongue. So I'm talking a bit weird, so just bear with me. I, I could, I feel it, okay? Verse 17, are you ready for the fourth? Write it down, fourth prayer request of Jesus. Sanctify them by your truth. This is his fourth prayer request. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself and they may also be sanctified by truth. This is the prayer request of Jesus. Sanctification. This is holiness, being set apart, being different from everybody else. We're called to be holy, set apart. Fourth and final prayer request, sanctify them. And sanctification is a daily process of dying to the flesh, dying to earthly desires, separating yourself from sin, and being more like God. That's the sanctification, set apart process of God separating you unto himself, okay? One commentator said, just like God sent his son into the world, so Jesus sends his followers into the world. Their mission was the same as Jesus. Tell people about God. Write that down. My mission is the same as Jesus's. And then write this word down. Write these, uh, what is it? Five words down. Or I'm sorry, let's do four words. Tell people about God. That's the plainest way Whoa, it's so simple, but it's so profound. The light bulb clicked. That's what I'm called to do. Yes. Tell people about God. That's the goal. Jesus did that. He told them about the Father. We're called to do that. So we're set apart, sanctified, separated from the world to do the work that Jesus called us to do. So what are the four things? Type it in the chat. What are the four things that we learned? The prayer request of Jesus that we can pray for others. Number one, protection. These are the cliff notes. Number two, unity or oneness. Unity is not really the greatest word because we think of unity, we think of everybody has to come together and agree. Type, I would write out oneness. That's one mind, one heart, one vision. We don't all believe the exact same things of every little minor doctrine, 
but there's a oneness of mind. Okay, so oneness that we'd be one in, in vision and mission. Number three is joy. We'd have joy. And then number four is sanctification. We're on John 17. John 17, for those of you just jumping on. Okay, so let's go to, so that's four. So one protection, two oneness or unity, three joy, four, four, I'm sorry, my fingers are going wrong. Four is sanctification. John 17, 20 through 21. All right. I do not pray for these alone. So now he's going to pray for all believers. This is interesting here. Very interesting stuff. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, this is interesting. I'll go on in a second about that because I have a lot to think about here. Verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Okay, here's what I want to highlight. Look at this chat. I do not pray for these alone. Who's, the, who's that? The disciples. So we just got done praying for the disciples. But I don't just pray for these alone. Also, those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is praying, and I don't want to create a, a, a you know weird doctrine here, but I just want to show you something. He's praying for first himself in the beginning, then the disciples, now all believers everywhere for all time. Because he says, all of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you. So he's praying for universal, the universal church, all believers here. Everybody who's, every person who's heard the message from the disciples till now, Jesus is praying for them. That's me and you. That's literally me and you. Someone said Jesus is not paying it forward. He's praying it forward. Exactly. So do prayers live on past us? Like does my grandma's prayers, just for an example, is God still hearing or answering, not hearing, because my grandma's passed away, she's in heaven now, but is God still answering the prayers my grandma prayed, you know, 50, 60 years ago, when my grandma prayed and said, Lord, let so-and-so, Lord, let my son's kids serve you. Like imagine right now, think about this, okay? Imagine right now I pray, Lord, let my oldest daughter justice, for example, okay? Let justice's kids serve you all the days of their life. Justice is eight years old. She doesn't have any kids, but she's going to have kids one day and they're going to get older and they're going to be in their 30s, 40s, 50s. When Justice's kids are 50s, if I'm gone, will I be gone? Yeah, probably. Yes. When I'm gone, will the prayers I prayed today still affect them because I prayed for them? Do you see what I'm saying? So Jesus, I'm not make again, I'm not going to make a doctrine and teach a prayer class off of that principle, but the idea is Jesus says, also for those who will believe in me through their word. So praise for himself, praise for the disciples, and then praise for everybody that's going to hear. Now we know this is not unbiblical because we know Jesus is right now, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, forever making intercession for us. So Jesus is still praying for us right now. And the Bible doesn't say prayers die. Prayers don't have an expiration date. God bottles up and saves our tears. Here's our prayers. So there's this future generation. Jesus says, I'm praying for these future believers. I'm that believer. I'm, I've heard the gospel. We're here tonight because of the gospel Jesus preached. And then the disciples took it and preached it. And then they preached it. And then they preached it. And year after year after year, somebody, think about this, was faithful to preach. And here we are, me and you today, April 24th of 2023. So he's praying for those who will believe in me through their words. Again, Jesus won't be there, but he's praying. And the Bible says he's praying. Still praying, forever making intercession for us. Interesting stuff. I just wanted to point that out. Again, I wouldn't do a whole prayer doctrine on prayer being eternal and all that, but I will say 
I think it's biblical to say prayers don't die. Prayers continue on because he's still, he's here praying for all who believe in their word, which there's millions that have believed through their word. Verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and the world may know that you've sent me and, and loved me as they have loved me. Okay. The glory which you gave me, I have given them. Now this sounds maybe like, wait, we don't get God's glory. God doesn't give us glory. When he's talking about glory, he's talking about giving them power, putting them on display. One commentator said this, even future believers will receive the glory of God, the father, the, the glory God the Father gave his son. This is what the commentator said. Through Jesus' death, the whole world will see God's character and nature. That glory will become real to those who believe in Jesus. And they will join unity with God with one another. When believers get along, unity makes an impact on unbelievers to see, God, to see God's love in them. So Jesus giving us glory, saying I've given them the glory, He's giving, he's saying, I'm giving them the mission to proclaim this message. And when we proclaim this message, it's not like I get the glory, but it's that because of my ministry or your ministry or preaching, the glory of God is revealed and God gets the glory. So again, this is the words of Jesus, not me. So I'm not here saying we get God's glory. Jesus is giving them the task of preaching the gospel, which will glorify the father. That's what he's saying there. Verse 25 through 26. O righteous father, the world has not known you, but I've known you and because, uh, because I've known that you sent me. And I've declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you've loved me, they may be in them and I in, uh, may be in them and I in them. Again, some of these stuff is kind of hard to read because it's not worded the way we would word it today in our language now. This was, you know, translated from Greek. The point of it is this, unity. Unity, unity, unity. A oneness of mind, a oneness of believers, a coming together in unity. This is what Jesus was declaring and Jesus was speaking. This was his mission. Okay, let's kind of go through 18. We won't go, we won't go super um, long on 18 because it's, it's, a lot of it's just a story. It's the story of something happening. So I don't have a lot of commentary. And to be honest with you guys, my lip hurts. I mean, my tongue is hurting really bad in my throat. I'm, I'm a mess tonight. I'm a mess tonight. So we're going to do our best here. Let me turn my AC back on. We're going to do our best to work our way through, but just know 18, 17 was the longest portion I, I went 47 minutes on because I wanted to really spend time on that chapter and try to explain it. This is more just a, ha a happening that I'll commentate on, okay? So let's go to verse one. And when, and when there's stuff just happening, there's nothing really, not a lot of commentary needed because th this is just like a, um, a series of events I'm playing. We'll just go through it here. Verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out. He went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who and Judas who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Okay, so does the prayer. Now he goes out over the brook Kidron, and now he's over in the garden. We know what the garden is because Matthew tells us it's the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, so we know we know the garden. We know what the garden is, but for whatever reason, John leaves out a lot of these details. Uh, a historian said there's a strong poetic imagery even in the physical surroundings toward the garden of gethsemane a drain ran from the temple altar down to the kidron ravine to take away blood of a sacrifice since it was passover more than 200,000 lambs would have been slain the next day when jesus and his band crossed the kidron it was it was red with the blood of lambs prepared for sacrifice within a few hours the blood of the lamb of god would flow so he's saying how oh, this was all prophetic this was all historical here even then 
John 18, 2 through 6. And if you've been to Israel, you've probably been to the Kidron Valley and all that, and that's amazing. I, I need to get out there. And Judas, he portrayed him also, okay, also knew the place. Then Judas, having received, a, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that had come upon him, went forward and said to them, Who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am he, which is, a, which is an I am statement is a title of God, and I'll talk about that in a second. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood, that, stood with them. Now when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now when he said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. So Jesus here, for every single person that says Jesus never called himself God, which is a popular belief, this is the God statement. He's done this before, but this is a title solely reserved for God in the Old Testament. Solely reserved for God. No one else in scripture can say, I am he. The I am statement. This is him declaring, I am. As in, I am God. Who are we looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, I am. This is the God statement. He did this, he, he does this before as well. Give me one second, guys. I have uh, um, something I need to look at. Uh, oh, I think it's, okay. I'll look at it after. Someone sent me a text that's urgent, but I don't think it's serious. So I had to look there for a second. Okay, so that's the I am statement. Verse 7, then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I've told you all that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That's the disciples. Now, I want, hold on. I, I shouldn't have jumped off this. They drew back and fell to the ground. Nobody knows why they fell to the ground. I want to stop on this for a second because it's been used a lot of different ways. This is an unusual way to respond. Some say they were startled. They had a sense of awe, a sense of reverence, a sense of fear falling back. Some say it was God's power that knocked them to the ground. There's a lot of theories on what this was. I want to think like this was the power of God knocking on the ground, but then I'm like, well, is that fruitful? What fruit would it be? I don't know. Nobody knows. We just know they fell to the ground. So we don't know if it was like they fell to the ground in fear and reverence and awe, the power of God. I'm sure they, they knew God's presence and power was there. Some people have used this. Now, I don't want to get in the weeds here because I could get off in the weeds if I'm not careful. Some people have used this verse to justify slaying in the spirit. Now, I do believe slain in the spirit happens. I've been slain in the spirit. I've seen it happen where the power of God hits you and you fall down. I'm not against it. I'm not preaching against it here. But also, if I'm going to be intellectually honest with the text, contextually honest, I should say, I wouldn't use this as a slain in the spirit. If I'm trying to justify slaying in the spirit with the Bible, I wouldn't use this verse because this is non-believers. And this is not Jesus laying hands and praying for them. So I probably wouldn't use this. For, I know a lot of you have heard people use this for slaying in the spirit. I probably wouldn't use it as that um, to justify it. I would just say, hey, God moves and there's not everything's found in the Bible. There's tons of things God does that aren't in the Bible that he does today. And if people fall over, cool. If they fall forward, back, sideways, I just, I just want you to get up changed. If you're going to fall over, get up different. Don't be falling over and then get up and still go home and drink. So yeah, there's many thoughts on that what it means to fall to the ground. Many scholars have debated it, but we won't go into the weeds on that. That's just a thought I had. Again, I wouldn't use that to say, oh, they got slain in the spirit because they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit right here. And usually when you're slain in the spirit, it's when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and, and other things like that. Okay. Verse eight, I told you I'm he, let them go their way. Now, okay, we'll, we'll see right here. I don't need to go ahead here. Verse nine, that the saying, so he tells them, let the disciples go. And here's why that the saying might be fulfilled in which was spoke. Of those whom you gave, I've lost none. Remember, Jesus just said this. Jesus just literally said this. Those who the Father gave me, I haven't lost. 
Why is he saying let them go? Because if they get captured, that saying isn't true. So he said that. So th th this saying might be fulfilled. Are you guys catching it? So he doesn't want the disciples to get arrested because then the saying wouldn't be true. It's a prophecy that has to be fulfilled. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father's given me? I have a whole sermon. One day I'll preach to you guys. I preached years and years ago about this, where Jesus in the book of Matthew says, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And then the, uh, John doesn't tell us, but in Matthew tells us Jesus actually healed the man's ear. Now Jesus did tell the disciples to bring weapons, but he didn't tell them to use weapons. And that's a whole nother sermon. But yeah, he did tell them to bring weapons with them, but he didn't tell them to use it. He ends up healing this guy. And we'll go into that when we go into the book of Matthew and I'll, I'll preach that whole message I have. But yes, that's what happened there. He tells them to put a sword away because again, Peter's interfering with what the goal, what the plan of God was. And that's to drink the cup the father's given me. And that's the cup of wrath. The wrath of God was going to be poured out on his own son. Before the high priest, verse 12. I told you we'll move through this. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Okay? And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another. Matthew says Simon Peter followed at a distance. And this is the first step of a believer falling into denying Jesus is you start following at a distance. You lose your closeness with Jesus. You start following from a distance. So now Peter is now following from a distance. Now disciples know to the high priest and went with Jesus in the court of the high priest. Okay, verse 16. Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door. This is the doorkeeper, the slave girl who brought, P and then it says, and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door. This was literally the girl that opened and closed the door in this courtyard. She just opened and closed the door. She was the servant girl. The servant girl, not high status, not Roman government, none of this. Servant girl said to Peter, you are not also one of his man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, no, I am not. Guys, the people that we deny Jesus in front of, why are we so afraid to proclaim the name of Jesus in front of people? Why are we so afraid to proclaim that we're disciples and proclaim that we're believers at work and at school? We could all laugh at Peter here, scoff and say, I would never deny Jesus. Peter denied him in front of a slave girl, but we've denied him in front of coworkers. We've denied him at work. We've denied him at family reunions. We've denied him at Walmart. When God says, go witness, we deny him when we say no. When God says, share with your cousin, we deny him when we say no. We're so embarrassed and ashamed. We do this all the time. So don't look at Peter and say, oh, I would never. You do it all the time. Are you, aren't you a Christian? And we go, no, nah, I mean, yeah, I go to church, but I'm not really. He's ashamed. He's embarrassed. He's afraid of being persecuted. At the end of the day, the root of why we don't preach to people and say we're Christians is because we're ashamed of being persecuted. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Peter's afraid of being persecuted. They got Jesus in there. They're going to kill him. And if I say I'm his disciple, they're going to kill me too. So now you're at work. You know if you say you're Christian, you're going to be the weird one at work and they're going to persecute you. So you deny Jesus. So stop acting like we don't do this. Stop acting like we don't deny God. We deny him all the time. Peter did it three times. Some of us did it five times this week. I felt that one. Peter did it three times. Some of you deny Jesus a hundred times this year already. 
So we have to stop with this. Why would Peter? We do the same thing all the time. We deny Christ when we don't give him our life. We deny him when we don't lay hands on people and pray for them. Hey, Isaiah, go pray for that person. Ah, uh, I don't really want to right now. I just denied Jesus. He asked for me to go do something, and I didn't do it. I denied him. So there's multiple ways you could deny him, but don't, don't just be like, oh, well, Peter. Look at this, verse 18. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warned himself. Anytime you start following from a distance, you distance yourself from Jesus, you start denying him, the next step is you will warm yourself up around the fires of this world. You will start finding other things to satisfy you, other things to warm you up, other things to be passionate about. You used to be burning for God on fire, surrounded by the fire of God. Now you're surrounded by the fire of your own hobby, the fire of entertainment, the fire of addiction. Anytime you deny, you have to find a worldly fire to warm yourself on. Fire is symbolic in scripture. And now Peter, what are you doing, Peter? No, Peter stood with them. These are the enemies of God. He's hanging around God's enemies. So what is the steps we take? We follow at a distance. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody tonight. I don't have time to preach this like I feel it. I will though, one day, trust me, this sermon will get preached. I will preach this. He's following at a distance. He's denying Jesus around people, friends, family, this. Then he goes and warms himself up around the fires of this world. And then he starts hanging around the wrong people. He's now hanging around a fire with the enemies of God. Officers, what? Look at this, the servants and officers. These are the enemies. These are the guys that just arrested Jesus. And now Peter's like, what's up, y'all? How are you? God has separated you from those old friends at work. God has separated you from those old friends at school. Every time in my church, I see somebody, they start hanging out with old friends. I'm like, the clock's ticking. It's just a matter of time before they go back to the world. Just a matter of time before they go back to partying and they backslide. It always starts with warming yourself up, hanging around the wrong people. Stop hanging with those people, guys. Now's the time. Stop hanging with those people. Verse 19, well, I'm just there to witness to them. No, you're not. Don't lie. I'm just at the party to evangelize. No, you're not. You're playing beer pong. Don't lie. Stop that. Verse 19, the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and doctrine. So the high priest wants to know about Jesus's disciples and doctrine. Verse 20, Jesus answered him. I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I've said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. Okay, this is what Jesus is saying. I'm not a secret cult. I'm not a secret society. I didn't say nothing in private. I wasn't meeting in secret. I was, oh, look it. I spoke openly. This ain't no secret cult, secret society. Jesus is like, what are you even asking me? My doctrine? I'm open about it. Watch my videos. Why? Jesus is like, look at my teachings. I teach openly all of these things. And you're here going like, well, what's your doctrine? What's your, and Jesus says, I've always openly taught. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not teaching in secret. So he's, he's like, ask the people that have heard me. Ask them. Why are you asking me what I believe? Ask the people that listen to me what I believe. They know what I believe because they listen to me. You had all this chance. The high priest had all this chance to come hear him and he did it. So whose fault is that? Not Jesus's fault. He leaves the disciples out of it. They said, tell us about your disciples and your doctrine. He leaves the disciples out. Talks about, you know, my doctrine is listen to me preach. Verse 22. And when he said these things, 
One of the officers who stood by struck him with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? So he's so, he's mad. They're mad because they can't catch Jesus in anything. And in Matthew, it said they started looking for people to lie about Jesus because they couldn't find anything, excuse me, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. So they're looking for people to lie about him, Matthew says. But he, he smacks Jesus with the palm of his hand. And then verse 23, Jesus answered him, if I've spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him to bound Caiaphas, the high priest. So again, nothing did, did nothing wrong. They're just beating him. They're beating him for no reason. And I have a, they broke tons of laws, by the way. They're breaking laws all throughout this, but they don't care about the law. They're fueled by the devil at this point, trying to kill Jesus. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. This is the second denial. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him, whose ear Peter cut off. So one of, one of the guys, that relative of the guys Peter cut his ear off, asked Peter, did I see you in the garden with him? Like, dude, you're the guy, basically like, you're the guy that cut my cousin's ear off. Peter then denied immediately a rooster crowed. Three denials, excuse me. Three denials. Now, Matthew says, they said, you sound like his disciples. You have an accent. You talk different. You talk like his followers, which is a compliment. The world should know we talk like his disciples. That's the bottom line. The world should know about that. They should be talking like, man, you're different. You talk different. If you talk like everybody else and the world can't recognize it, there's something wrong. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to Praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, that they might eat, with, eat the Passover. Pilate then went out and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said, if, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So they're going to try to convince Pilate Jesus did evil. Now, we all know in the chat tonight, Jesus did nothing. He did nothing. He had no sin, did nothing wrong. Jesus said, you're calling me a blasphemer, but all I do is heal people on the Sabbath. Like, I'm doing good. What wrong thing have I done? So they're trying to bring a case before, um, be, uh, before Pilate to get Jesus, to get Jesus killed. They answered and said, okay, verse 31. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Pilate doesn't want nothing to do with this. He's like, I could care less. You gave, you have claims of blasphemy. I don't care. Pilate is not God fearing. He wants nothing to do with gods. He doesn't like the Jews. He doesn't care. He looks down on the Jews. The Jews are known to him. Then Pilate said, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. The Jews are not allowed to put him to death. It's not lawful for them to do it. So they want someone else to do it. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by, what his, by the death what he would die. Verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you to, concerning me? So Jesus knows Pilate doesn't care. He's just trying to appease the Jewish people to keep them calm. Verse 35. Pilate said, I, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Like Pilate's like, I don't understand. But remember, Jesus has to die. He knows he has to die. So he's not trying to warm his way out of it. He knows he has to die. And on the cross specifically, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. What a statement. What a statement. My kingdom is not of this world. Highlight that in your Bible. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. This is not a political kingdom. This is not a natural kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom. This is not natural. This is not, he's basically saying, Pilate, I'm not like you. 
I don't run this government thing. I'm in a, I'm running a spiritual kingdom. My, my kingdom is not of this world. This is what Jesus is saying. It's not of this world. Now look at this. My Bible app froze again. Okay. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Bottom line. 37. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus said, you rightly say that I'm a king. So Jesus goes, you're not wrong. I am a king. I'm just not a king like you think. He's not just a king, by the way. He's the king of kings. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come to the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So here's the story. Caiaphas, all of them want Jesus killed, okay? They can't kill Jesus according to the law. They're not allowed to. It's not right. It's during Passover, all of that. It's going to cut inside a riot. They throw Jesus to Pilate, trying to get Pilate to kill him. Pilate says, I, I can't kill this dude. He's literally done nothing wrong. The man's done nothing. He's healing. I mean, what is he doing but healing people? There's no fault. I, I find no fault. You guys are crazy. So now, prophecy must be fulfilled. Jesus has to die. It's all part of God's plan. Look at verse 39. And this is all the parallel places you can find all of this as well. Matthew, Mark, Luke. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. So every Passover, there was a custom that a prisoner would be released. Specifically someone that was going to die. That was going to be, that was basically the, the Roman government was going to kill. That's the custom. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So Pilate says, listen, guys, there's a custom. I'll release Jesus just... I'll, I'll release him. It's no big deal. Like, I didn't even want to do this. Then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas, a thief, a robber, and a terrible person. And the irony is, Jesus, the innocent man. This is the whole gospel story right here. The whole gospel story. Jesus, the innocent man that did no wrong. Right here goes on a cross and dies when really Barabbas was the one that should have been on that cross. So Jesus takes the place of Barabbas and they say, give us Barabbas, the criminal. That's the gospel. Who's Barabbas in the story? Well, we all, we all know. We all know who Barabbas is. I'm Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. We are Barabbas in the story. We are the ones that have broken every law. We are the rebels. We are the liars. Come on, Chad, there's 2,000 of you. We are the thieves. We are the, the, the criminals that deserve, deserve the full wrath of God to be poured out upon us. Deserve to die and be separated from God. Friend, you are Barabbas. Did you get it? You deserve that. You deserve to be on that cross. You've broken every law of God. And Jesus says, no, Barabbas. All in God's providence and plan. All of this is in God's plan. It was God's plan for this to happen. Let Isaiah go. Let Isaiah go. He's broken every one of my... I get emotional talking about it. He's broken every one of my laws. He spent years in rebellion to me. He doesn't deserve life. He doesn't deserve peace. He doesn't deserve joy. He doesn't deserve freedom. I, I literally broke every, every law. And... God looks down at me and at Jesus 
at both of us, God looks down and God goes, I'm going to put Jesus on the cross. The Bible says it pleased the father to crush his own son. What? Why? Why did it please the father? Because in God pouring out his wrath on Jesus, he didn't, he didn't have to pour it out on me. And now I get a relationship with God that I didn't deserve. Jesus paid the price he didn't owe so I could, I could have relationship with God that I didn't deserve. He didn't owe, he didn't owe that, paid a debt he didn't owe. He literally paid a debt he didn't owe. I owed the debt for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Friend, you should not be able to have relationship with God. That's the truth. You've broken all of God's law. If you've broke one, you've broke all of them, the Bible says. Yet tonight, in God's mercy and God's grace, God is extending you mercy and saying, serve me, come to me. Tonight, God's giving you that chance. What is eternal life? It's knowing God and knowing Jesus. Having a relationship. I'm not inviting you to pray. Oh, close your eyes and pray a prayer. Where's that in the Bible? Where's that in the Bible? I'm not inviting that you to do that. I'm inviting you to repent of your sin and turn to Christ and take your faith off of you and put your faith onto him. I'm inviting you to say, I repent. That means I'm wrong about life. I'm wrong about marriage. I'm wrong about humanity. I repent. I'm wrong. God, you're right change the way I think I put my faith and I put my trust and I believe in you you're my Lord you're my Savior that's the beauty of the gospel what a wonderful message and what a privilege I get to preach this message what a privilege and you haven't told anybody what are we doing out here you haven't told anybody this good news well the news is great is it though is it though if you haven't told anyone why are we not shouting this from the rooftop why does every one of our friends and family not know about this? I could have relationship with creator God because of what Jesus did, the chasm. Come on, man. The separation's gone. I have access to God now. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's good news. I'm not just a conqueror, I'm more than a conqueror. What? Why has no one told me about this? But instead we go, oh, do you want to invite Jesus in your heart and come to church on Sunday? What is that? I want to be born again. I want a new life. I want eternal life. That is knowing God every day. Every day. It's not just when I die, I'm going to float up on a cloud to heaven. What are we even talking about? It's every single day to know God. Tell others about God. It's a relationship. What relationship would you have with your wife if you saw her once a week? Like me and God have a great relationship. I'm like, you talk and see him once a week. Really though? No, no, no. Eternal life is knowing the father and knowing Jesus. It's not talking to him once a week. It's not visiting him once a week. When I go on my once a week, I praise the Lord. It's my celebration time. We've been talking all week. We know each other. I know him. I know him can you say that can you say i know god i know him personally not from isaiah's videos not from my parents not from third hand revelation i know you god me and you know i'm not a servant anymore i'm a friend of god because i obey his commandments he's changed me we i know i spend time with him but yet here we are no relationship with god no prayer and it breaks the heart of god 
It breaks the heart of God that we've lost our fire, that we've lost our passion, that we choose vacations and this and that over him. It hurts God that you don't pray all day long. It hurts God that we don't read our Bibles. It hurts God that we don't seek him. God says, I did all this and you don't even, you neglect me? You know, the Bible says, how do we escape damnation by neglecting such a great salvation? We just neglect it. We're just like, well, it is what it is. It's just there in the corner somewhere. I'm not sure where I left my Bible. I'm not sure where I haven't prayed. It's like, oh, hey, God, protect my house at night. And, and God's like, man, I did all of this, all of this so you could have relationship. And you don't even want that. Why don't you want that? Why don't you want relationship with me? I don't understand. It's like, man, worst feeling in the world. I couldn't imagine just for a moment before I pray for you. Cause I feel, I feel this plea. I feel this gospel plea to have with you tonight. I don't do this often, but I feel it. You so badly want a relationship with your estranged child that you, you haven't got to spend time with and you do everything you can and you, you spend thousands of dollars cause you, you were separated at birth and now you want relationship. You just found out you have this, you know, 13 year old somewhere, 12 year old somewhere. And you spend thousands of dollars on getting private investigators and you track down their state where they live and where they are now and, and what school they go to and you fly down there and you desire, you get, you want to know them and you, you schedule a meetup and this is your long lost kid. You have no relationship, but this is your offspring and you meet with them and they go, I don't want nothing to do with you. How heartbroken would you feel? How terrible would you feel if your child said, I want nothing to do with you. Leave me alone. I think about it, my own kids. I can't even fathom my daughter g getting older, turning 17, 18, 19, moving out and saying, dad, I want nothing to do with you. And I'm going, I didn't, after all I did for you, I raised you the right way. My heart would be shattered. Yet every single day I make God feel that way. Every single day I make God feel that way with my lack of time in his word, with my lack of prayer. When my when my lack of awareness that he's real, he's alive, he's all that matters. I'm not, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I do it every day. I I do it every day. I'm not yelling at you like, oh brother, you're just really making me feel bad. I'm talking about myself. I'm saying I. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. I I'm responding to my own altar call tonight. I'm humbling myself and going. I always do this. I spent all day working for God and God's like, who are you? What are you doing? I don't even know you. I'm doing all this work for the king. But I don't even know the king. Not even aware of his presence and his power. Lord, forgive us tonight. Father, I pray, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for neglecting you. Forgive us, God, for turning away from you. Forgive us, Lord, for not serving you and not knowing you truly. Lord, the sin of neglect is the greatest sin, the sin of idleness. Father, wash us with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse us, God. Help us, Lord. Just ask him right now. Ask him to help you right now. Help me, Lord, to not be so busy working for you that I forget you. Help me, Lord, to not stand on judgment day and the Lord say, I don't even know you, Isaiah. Everybody else knew you, but I don't know you. Lord, help me to walk in your commandments, to walk according to your word, and to be a light in the midst of darkness, God. Wash me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Some of you just repent. Just say, I repent. I turn, my, I turn my face to you, Lord. I believe in what you did on the cross, and I want to serve you, and I want to know you. Father, help us tonight to know you, excuse me, and to serve you. 
Help us tonight, Lord, to honor you in our everyday life, that it would not just be Sunday morning Christianity. I'm not yelling at y'all. I'm praying with you right now. I'm not yelling at you. We really need God's help. We're re a lot of us are really lukewarm out here. We're really compromised out here. We're really, we really neglect God, and we're going to spend our whole life. Don't, don't wait until you're 80 to, to figure out you've neglected God your whole life. Don't, don't let you be on iPhone all day. The devil, the devil will have to do nothing if you're on this all day. Like the devil's after me. The devil's not after you. You're on this all day. The devil doesn't even care about you. You're scrolling all day long going, well, I'm not, I'm not invoking demons in my life. You're scrolling all day long. This is your demon. This is your, that is, that is your downfall. So the devil doesn't need to come with pinch, pitchfork and horns all red. He doesn't need to come and, ooh, coming through a Ouija board. This is your Ouija board. This is your sage. This is your demon right here. Just as long as he gets you on there all day, scrolling your life away. He doesn't care about getting you on drugs. He already got you on the Apple, dude. He already has you on the phone. He already has you on the Android. He doesn't need to get you on drugs. He doesn't need to get you on alcohol. He doesn't need to get you on addiction. He already has you on addiction. It's the, it's the most seductive addiction of the hour because everyone says it's okay to be on your phone all day long. It's okay to be addicted. Everyone says it's okay because everyone is. But God says it's an idol. This is prophetic to you. God says it's an idol. Lay it down. Lay it down so I could wash you and cleanse you. Repentance is Lord, change the way I think. I've broken your laws. Change my mind right here. Change my mind. I don't want to think this way. I don't want to think like everybody else thinks. Lord, change my mind in Jesus' name. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd send conviction. I pray your power. I pray your anointing and I pray your fire would come upon every single person listening in Jesus' name. Do what only you can do. Do what only you can do, Lord. I'm not praying no elaborate prayer tonight. Simple prayer tonight. Lord, do what only you can do. Do the heavy lifting. Forgive us for worshiping the gods of this world and turning from you. And Lord, help us, God. Help us, Lord. Help. Sometimes the most prolific prayer you can pray is just help. Help. We need you. We honor you. We want to serve you. Touch our lives, Lord. Anoint us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.